0: the major finding out of that study the like result from the data that smacked all of us across the face was that there are fishing nets entangled on the wrecks. My name is Kirsten Meyer-Kaiser. I am a marine biologist and I work at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. My research focuses mostly on seafloor communities, and I specifically focus on invertebrate communities, things like anemones, clams, crabs, anything that does not have a backbone.
1: Welcome to Below the Tide. My name is Liz, and I'm your host... This week we are sitting down with Kristen Meyer Kaiser and we are doing another intro episode and this week we are doing intro to shipwrecks. So we're going to be chatting about some shipwrecks in New England. If this is your first time listening to Below the Tide, welcome. The goal of Below the Tide is really to make marine science accessible and easy to understand in one podcast. With every episode, you will also find visual resources like pictures, videos, definitions, maps on the Instagram page at belowthetidepod and you can also find these on the Twitter page as well. Make sure you hit follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and make sure that you find us on social media on instagram and twitter at below the tide pod hit follow there and leave a rating and review on spotify apple podcasts if you enjoyed the pod you know the drill grab a coffee or whatever you like to drink and have a listen
0: you say shipwreck most people's first thought is titanic It's almost as if it's the only shipwreck in the world. It really bothers me that that's like the one that everybody thinks of. That's true. Um, Yeah. The United Nations, what is it? The Environmental Science and Education Associate, like some branch of um, the United Nations, released a report several years ago. That was a convention on the protection of underwater cultural heritage that estimated there are three million shipwrecks worldwide. And that's not even to mention all of the planes that have gone down and sunk on the seafloor. All of the cars—believe um, it or not—there's a bunch of sunken cars just south of Oahu. Um, it was a military dumping ground in like the '50s and '60s. There's amphibious vehicles, you know, airplanes that went down in World War II cargo ships that, you know, have sunk in storms, passenger ships like the steamship Portland in New England. We're talking about an entire history encompassing multiple centuries resting on the seafloor. So I think of shipwrecks in a couple of different categories. First category is the super old wooden ones. Um, Prior to the 20th century, there was I mean, pretty much every ship had to be wood. There was no other option. Some of them have metallic structures. Like for example, you can have a wooden vessel that's sheathed in copper. And so that was an anti-fouling measure. So sometimes you will find relatively intact wooden shipwrecks but that's just because they're covered in copper. The copper is like holding the wooden parts together. Um, But anything that's wooden tends to degrade pretty quickly there are specialist species in the ocean called shipworms that like bore into wood and create these canals. And um, yeah, so there's a couple of different types of these. There's teredos, which occur in shallow water. And then there's xylophagids that occur in the deep sea. And even though we call them shipworms, they're actually mollusks, like they're modified clams. And um, yeah, so shipworms will bore into wood and that makes it degrade. There's also, you know, bacterial activity and all sorts of things. So wood disappears relatively quickly, leaving behind all of the hard structures. So you might have the copper clad portion of the hull. You might have an old anchor. You might have an astrolabe. I've actually seen that on a shipwreck once. It was Um, an astrolabe. It's a tool that was used. It's a metal tool, looks like a couple of different rotating discs pinned together. It was used to determine time of day, location, as at sea, um, using the sun, moon, and stars for your time and position keeping. Perfect. Um, Yeah, I've seen one of those on a shipwreck before. Um, Glass bottles. For example, there's an old rum runner from the prohibition era right off of Cape Cod that has all of these like hand-blown glass bottles on it. Um, So all of the hard artifacts stay behind. So most of the time, if you find an older shipwreck, like something 19th century or before you don't find the ship at all. You find the contents of the ship. Mm -hmm. those hard artifacts and sometimes there's like ballast rocks um you know ships used to have rocks that they would pull out of rivers to help weight them down if they were uneven or if they Mm -hmm. needed to go into areas with different salinities um and sometimes you'll just find a pile of coal like if it was trucking coal around um somewhere yeah Yeah, there's a lot of 19th century coal schooners in new england because that it was like schooners were my archaeologist collaborator refers to them as the semi-truck of the day. Um, because this was how most merchandise was moved up and down the coast.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So so okay, so that's category one is the wooden shipwrecks that degrade so yeah. quickly. Um, the second category is, I mean, it's really frequent to find World War II. Oh my gosh, U-boats, shipwrecks, planes, like this is kind of a category unto itself. If you look at a database of, you know, assuming one existed, of all underwater cultural heritage throughout the world, and when it sank, there would be a peak in 1945. <laughs> um it, it actually makes me laugh sometimes when I'm, you know, working in Pacific Islands, like Palau or Chuk or something, you know, when did everything sink? 1945. So metal shipwrecks and, you know, planes and other things have a completely different dynamic than wood because wood disappears so quickly. Metal does not. Mm-hmm. It stays intact for much longer and it introduces trace metals to the water around it so you can actually get really distinct unique microbial communities on and around metal shipwrecks because it's leaching iron into the water or something like that um corrosion obviously happens on metal shipwrecks but corrosion is a much slower process than you know wood getting eaten by shipworms Mm mm-hmm Yeah. So metal wrecks have their own set of dynamics and it's okay. So one thing that's really fascinating to me is that broadly speaking, ships are made of iron planes are made of aluminum. Mm -hmm. And if you look across the tropical Pacific, where there's all sorts of American and Japanese remnants from world war II, the ships tend to have completely different communities from the airplanes. And, um, this is one of the things that's really grabbed my attention recently. And I I'm trying to prepare a proposal to figure out does the material that they're made from control what can live on each of those different structures? Whoa. Yeah. So there's a lot of subtlety to the to the metal questions. Um, and then the third category I would say is more modern wrecks, um, fishing vessels. Largely made of either metal or fiberglass. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's quite a few cases of late 20th century, super famous um, vessels that have sunk, for example, the Edmund Fitzgerald um, in the 1970s that was in freshwater in Lake Superior, but Mm -hmm. that was, you know, a ship that sank in a horrible storm. Um, We find all sorts of modern fishing vessels around New England. Honestly, we're a huge fishing hub. And if you take an ROV or a side scan sonar out to Stellwagen Bank, you're definitely going to find some modern fishing vessels that have sunk. Um, It's a lot easier to identify those because they're new enough that they might actually have the name still legible on the side.
1: Oh, yeah. And
0: so easier to study in terms of history because you can figure out you know, what happened. There might even be newspaper articles about it. Um, you might even be able to contact some survivors or, you know, the captain of the boat that went down. So that's a category unto itself.
1: Something that I learned was that not like the location of some of these big shipwrecks is not kind of like publicly known. Yes. And I, you know, I, I, guess I'm not like into shipwrecks enough that I would have thought like oh what if I want to go see it but is there a reason for that
0: absolutely so yeah I don't encounter this in any of my other research only in the shipwreck world that whoever is in charge of managing um a set of wrecks or you know a habitat that includes some shipwrecks usually doesn't want people to figure out where the shipwrecks are um the reason for that is they are afraid of the damage that might be done to that important and irreplaceable cultural and historical resource if people know where it are or know where it is because you know what if scuba divers go down and they you know take away some artifacts that might be really important for identifying the vessel or might properly belong in a museum, or something like that. This is um, actually the policy at present in Stellwagen Bank National Marine Sanctuary. I had to sign an NDA before I was allowed to begin research in the sanctuary. So any coordinates for those shipwrecks are considered privileged information and I cannot share it with anyone else. So yeah looting by divers um was a major fear. And a lot of the wrecks in Stellwagen are actually pretty deep. So mm-hmm. we're talking it would take a very highly trained specialized diver to even be able to get there and do the dive safely. Um so honestly if an artifact did go missing, it wouldn't take you very long to figure out who had taken it because the pool of individuals who could have done it is not that large. Right. Um And furthermore, being in federal waters, in a national marine sanctuary, all of the wrecks and stalwagon are explicitly protected. Taking artifacts off of them is forbidden. Mm -hmm. So it just provides an extra layer of protection to have the coordinates not even known. Our research actually has shown that this may not be the most effective strategy for um, protecting the shipwrecks and stalwagon as I'm sure you remember from Ben and Pete's talk at Impact 5. Okay, so I was the lead on a project in 2019 and 2020, where we went out to some wrecks and Stellwagen with a remotely operated vehicle, and we collected video data. I was obviously looking at the biological communities, the sponges, the anemones that were living on the wrecks. But we also had an archaeologist, my close collaborator, Calvin Myers, on that project. And so we were bringing together those perspectives to understand how the shipwrecks function in their environment. The major finding out of that study, the like result from the data that smacked all of us across the face was that there are fishing nets entangled on the wrecks. Um, Fishing is obviously a severe threat to our cultural and historical resources here in New England. And it's because the coordinates are not published. So mm. the fishermen, if you know they're going out for the first time, have no idea where a shipwreck might be that their net could get hung up on. The other thing is that... I've been told, you know, the fishermen know where the shipwrecks are, but they don't refer to spots on the seafloor as, oh, that must be a shipwreck. They just refer to it as a hang. Like, oh yeah, this spot is a hang. It means just a place on the seafloor that you could get a net hung up on something. Mm -hmm. So not knowing what's down there and not having, you know, the cameras and the ROVs and all of the research equipment to go find out. A, sh- uh, a fisherman doesn't know the difference between it's a giant rock, it's, you know, uh, a cliff that's not charted on the bathymetric map, or it's a shipwreck that I might be damaging. So we're in conversation with the Stellwagen ecosystem managers now because our data have shown this so clearly. And in fact, we wrote a proposal together that's under review right now to do outreach and communication with the fishing community. Cellwagon staff have already started this to some extent. They have interviewed numerous fishing vessel captains across the region. Um, But ultimately, our goal is to turn that research into a more effective policy to figure out how to prevent fishing interactions Mm. with Our underwater cultural heritage. It's a tragedy for the ship that gets torn apart. And it's also a tragedy for the fisherman who loses tens of thousands of dollars in fishing gear that he has to just cut away. So we're trying to work with the fishing community to solve that problem. And if our proposal is funded, we'll be able to do it in a much more effective way. I'm hoping that gets funded. Oh,
1: cool. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, you don't often think about like Why wouldn't you publish the coordinates and then if you do publish the coordinates like the pros and cons and... Exactly. Yeah, and I guess like no one is able to see these shipwrecks unless they have some sort of ROV that goes down there.
0: This is true. Um, Mm -hmm. We are trying to change that by creating three-dimensional models of the shipwrecks in wagon. So one of the objectives from the 2019-2020 project was to create a photogrammetric model for the most iconic wreck in the sanctuary, which is the Steamship Portland. Um, It sank in 1898 with about 200 people on board. There were no survivors. And um, this wreck is kind of the flagship for the sanctuary. It was the one that made the strongest case that the sanctuary should exist where it does. Um, And it's also really important biologically. It has these dense populations of anemones on the upper regions of the wreck, you know, enjoying that high current, as I explained earlier. So it's a really diverse and abundant community there. So when you take ROV video and you take photos of a wreck, you can put that into a specialized software and actually photogrammetry is essentially mapping with light. So the software takes all of the images, finds the places that they overlap, and then turns that into a three dimensional reconstruction of the shipwreck. If you have that digital model, you could put it up online. In fact, there's several photogrammetric models of shipwrecks on this website called Sketchfab. I actually encourage anyone who's interested to look at the BOEM Virtual Archaeology Museum. This is the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, does photogrammetric models for many of their sites. Um, And so what we're trying to do is virtually raise those shipwrecks out of the ocean through 3D modeling so that anybody can experience them.
1: And then at least that way you could pinpoint somewhat these locations and then tell the fishing community, like, hey, this is what you're dealing with down there.
0: Exactly. So one of the things that we wanted to do with the photogrammetric model of the Portland, if we get the proposal funded for the fishing community outreach, is to actually show them. This is a hang. You know, you can see the nets entangled mm-hmm. on the bow. You can see the part of the fantail stern that was ripped off sometime in the last decade. And um so that education component of helping people realize it's not just, you know, some cliff, it's a shipwreck down there, I think is a really important piece of it. There's a good model for that um in other sanctuaries, actually Thunder Bay, National Marine Sanctuary in Lake Michigan. Um, no, it's in it's in Lake Erie. Um mm-hmm. sets so a really good model for that. They actually have all of their shipwreck sites flagged with buoys. So if you're boating out on the lake, you can see there's a buoy there, there's a buoy there, and those are marking the shipwrecks. So they take the opposite strategy of education, outreach you know, rather than trying to hide something in plain sight, they celebrate it and educate everyone about it. I'm hoping that we can shift more to that strategy in New England. And I think the ecosystem managers for the sanctuary are trying to make that shift now. And um, I look forward to, you know, hopefully having less fishing interactions with shipwrecks in New England in the future.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Below the Tide this week. Make sure you hit follow wherever you listen to your podcast and on social media at Below the Tide Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also leave a rating on the podcast to help it reach more people. And I will see you next week. Hang in there for a quick sneak peek.
0: Spongerfrogs are so fascinating. It's not supposed to be there. So what is what is an anemone doing on the edge of the continental shelf?
1: Yeah, and like lucky that. It found the shipwreck before going over the shelf.
0: Exactly. This is the luckiest anemone larva ever. Instead of getting blown out to sea and dying in the middle of the Gulf Stream, it found, you know, an, a brand new habitat that it could dominate.